0: This is, life. This is life. 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 This is life with Lisa Williams. On yesterday's show, my friend Lisa Kyle began telling us her story. Her childhood was not an easy childhood. Uh, she was. Adopted as an infant, but the family that adopted her had a lot of issues. And so there was abuse, there was a feeling of not belonging. And then there was time in the foster care system and, and there was a lot of suffering. It was like this long period of suffering. Um, and a lot of trauma, you know, I think about Lisa and I have a mutual friend that you probably know if you listen to this show regularly, Carrie Scott, and you know, I think about her experience as a four-year-old being abused and told that she was worthless and that she didn't matter and that she was dirty. And, you know, she was just four. Lisa was just a baby, a, a child, and there are traumatic experiences that can happen in our lives. But I hope that as Lisa continues her story today that you can hear and see the redemption that came into her life and that can also come into your life if you've had a traumatic past. So I'm thankful that Lisa, Kyle is here. And Lisa, would you just continue now with the second part of your story?
1: Before I start telling my story about um, the next awesome part of my story, I want to respond to what you said about the long suffering and ultimately, whether you have a Carrie Scott story or a Lisa Kyle story, or you have walked in long suffering because of the pain of other people, there's also people who um, I've always believed hurt is hurt is hurt is hurt. It doesn't discriminate.
0: What do you mean? Like hurt is hurt is hurt is hurt.
1: In other words, my story hurt me and it's very dramatic and it's very colorful and it just seems so extreme and it breaks my heart even hearing about it. But then there's people who don't have like that big, bright, um, you know, colorful, traumatic history, but they have a deeper pain that is exactly how my pain was. And so that pain could be just um, all the things that kind of they collected along the life, whether it was not successful or maybe not included or overlooked um, or had a father who um, didn't approve of of you, or a mother who didn't love you the way you needed to be loved, I believe that no matter what your story is, whether it's as dramatic as mine, um, or might seem, you know, not as dramatic, it's all the same hurt, pain, feeling.
0: So pain is pain is pain is pain. I've never heard anybody say that. That's really good. Pain is pain is pain is pain. And um, I believe this too, because I'm a spiritual person who believes in the spiritual realm. I think sometimes it could be like a picture-perfect upbringing, yet there will be voices that come to you and say, you're not loved. And then you you embrace that thought and you take that thought in and it begins... And no one's even abused you. And it's been a perfect home, you know? Um, so I'm always speaking the word over my sons. I'm always reminding them of truth because when the lies come, they love that one more than you or you're not enough or your body is ugly. You're not as pretty as your sister. You're not as smart as your sister. You're not, you know, whatever. Those lies come from from a spiritual realm where there's a dark enemy. That can be the pain that comes too, or you embrace the lies, just flat out lies about who you are and so now would you share more of your story as you know i am I'm, I'm like on the edge of my seat you know you've really prepared my heart by bringing up this this truth of your story is not to be exalted but it is a universal story of we have pain
1: yes that that would be what i would say pain is universal doesn't discriminate So back to my story of um, after I was in foster care, a couple different homes and schools to just try to reconcile with my adoptive mother, who I had been sort of estranged from since I was three. Um, But because she was connected to me through paperwork, the state, when they took me out of my abuser's home the adoptive father um they immediately put me in her home and she was struggling fiercely with uh, mental illness that was very undiagnosed I'm sure not managed well at all with medication she was very poorly functioning and um and I do know that she was doing her very best but was very incapable of doing her best let alone take care of a teenage girl so as I began to um kind of separate myself from this person is really not a safe person and I was going in and out of foster homes. I sort of had to embrace the belief that the foster home was a safer home. But in those situations, how do you connect with people who are temporary? Temporary, temporary, temporary. Um, And yet, I also had the ambitions of a young girl who I just wanted to belong. I wanted to be in school. I wanted to be normal. What is normal? That is such a lie that I tried to strive for. So when I became um, connected to what would soon be my forever family, it was still unknown. So I found myself popped into their home and we began to just uh, start doing life together. And I actually have to tell you from the, oh, this makes me cry. It's
0: okay. It's okay.
1: But I believed when I walked in that house, that was my very last step. And that last step That last step of that belief that everything was going to be okay, you know, that magical belief that we have as children that, oh, there's going to be a happy ending in this, that was my very last step. And it happened to be true for me. (laughs) The very last step, thank you, God. The very last step was walking in their home. And though I didn't have any proof that it would be the happy ending, I did believe it. And so I walked through that. And I really didn't want to deal with my past. I didn't want to go to therapy sessions and talk about my abuse. I didn't want to deal with awareness of that. The person I was trying to be connected to my adoptive mother, she was mentally unstable. I honestly, I was a, young girl going, can I just be selfish? Can I just go to high school and have friends? And can I just uh, be normal and, and go to be a cheerleader and struggle getting my homework done and go shopping and maybe have some clothes? And I remember my first uh, gift that when I walked in the door to my uh, this family, they gave me a Christmas stock and it had lipstick in it. Oh, wow. little lipstick, a little lip gloss, a house key, huge, because that was a first sign of Oh, you're going to trust me. You're going to include me. You're giving me a house key. They gave me also um, a check for, I think it was Sears or JCPenney's, of, for $500. I came with no clothes. I'd oh, always no. been shopping at thrift stores. And thrift stores, by the way, are super cool to shop at. But I'd kind of always been pieced together with very little. And... um not a lot of material things. So actually receiving this, the very next day or the next couple of days, we went shopping and I bought my own panties and my first jer- dress because they wanted me to go to church. And part of going to church was to dress up. And so I have—I still – I'm 45 years old and I still have that dress. You do? It's my very first thing oh. I purchased for that was actually brand new. And the little blue <laughs> pumps that go with it, I still have them. Oh, it makes and, me cry. Yes, it was so beautiful. And, um, and just, Sweetie. just felt a little bit of tangible belonging that someone was caring for me. I didn't know how to respond emotionally to that. I, of course, said, thank you. But that was a long journey for the next 10 to 20 years for me to receive. I think receiving when there's been such a, a, a deficit was a big step for me in my um, adult life. And of course, I finished high school very barely with a two point eight average GPA, which doesn't take you very
0: far but academically. You, did it. you couldn't even read before. I mean, and and you did it. You worked hard, didn't you? You yes. worked hard. Yeah, and the cool thing about it is
1: even my foster family, they're my forever family. Um, my dad was a huge encourager, so he spoke right immediately into my soul with his encouraging words. He was. Yeah, people would always say that don't know we're not related would go biologically related. They go, oh, you're just so much like your dad. And then I look like my mom. And, you know, she read to me The kill a mockingbird in my 10th grade year because I couldn't read. But I was so ashamed of falling behind. I had this little protection desire. So she would read to me and I became a very strong listener because I would come to life all the things she would be reading to me. I
0: just want to say how much I love them. I just feel so much love for them for being Christ-like and kind and for seeing Lisa. They saw you. They saw you and they loved you. They didn't have to love you. You were just some girl that you were a stranger. They brought you into their home. They gave you a five hundred dollar gift card. You got your first lipstick. You bought your first dress. They encouraged you. I just love them. So that began my,
1: my happy ending. And um so I'd have to say honestly those four years I had with them, you know, when going into graduation from high school, it was truly a sanctuary for me and I hadn't even started to unpack the abuse and the trauma I really had just a sweet dream come true of everything that I anticipated life was supposed to be I experienced that in their home and that actually is my home that their their farm in Snoqualmie Washington is my home yeah and the neat thing about it is that they're no longer on the farm but this home truly was beyond the four walls and the location. It was truly a home for me. And that became, became the place where I started to actually grow and grow up and become who I was, even though I obviously am the same person I was. I really became um, more comfortable with who I was in my dreams, and it was living out who I was. When did you come to Christ? I mean, when did you have that experience of Jesus, you're the Lord of my life now? Was it at their home? I was actually on a mission trip to Mexico. I was invited to a church and my family supported me to go. And I went to Mexico and I was telling all these children and any person I could talk to about Jesus because I so believed in who Jesus was. And um, one of the requirements that my family asked me to do was to go to church. And I'm like, oh, that's no problem. I had no problem with it. I would show up to church and I loved it. And I actually became a janitor just for a job because my mom was a church secretary. <laughs> and it would blare Kim Boyce over this yes! huge <laughs> green carpeted church sanctuary. And I just felt the love of Jesus. Jesus but I didn't know him so finally when I was on this mission trip and I was on my way back it was July 23rd 1987 it was four o'clock in the morning and I realized with the weight of all my truth and being and belonging I knew that I needed to accept Jesus Christ and it felt like the biggest risk ever I actually had to release the defensive self capability and and I actually had to be vulnerable and vulnerable in a way that I had never known how to be vulnerable. I mean, I wasn't going around being mean or ugly to people, but I actually had to be do real big business with myself. And I asked Jesus into my heart, and I believed with all my life he'd been with me and that he had a purpose for my life, and he forgave me for all my sins. Because for at that point, I was going, well, what have I done wrong? I've just been like, kind of, Stepping through life with all these things happening to me, but I had a lot of ownership that I needed to have and recognize I was a sinner. I was separated from Jesus and accepting him to my life as my personal Lord and Savior was a huge step of just releasing the breath. And from that point on, I just have been in love with Jesus ever since. And I wish I could tell you all the things that I've done wrong since then because <laughs> life is definitely a journey. Um, but um, I'm just so grateful for July 23rd because it has been my plumb line when things get a little rocky and get a little questionable and we get kind of tangled up and, and we have to wrangle up some stuff. It came from knowing that July 23rd was my, my salvation day. And that's been a significant part of um, my journey.
0: Well, I feel very honored that Lisa was our guest today, and there are so many more stories. Even as she was talking, I was like, oh, I want you to tell this story. I want you to tell that story. And so you will hear more from Lisa Kyle in the weeks and months to come. And when you think of Lisa, pray for her, pray for us, because there's a group of us who are close friends, and we feel called by God um, to create Um, something that we're calling Firebrand Events, and we want to come to a place near where you are, and um, we wanna create space for people to be healed by the love of Jesus. And so there's a lot of vision, and there's a lot of calling, and we need a lot of prayer and support. And so that's one of the reasons Lisa was even here today, just so we could pray about that some more. If you want to know more about what we're doing, you know, we're kind of publicly beginning to talk about it. Um, We have a Facebook page that you can find. If you come to lifewithlisawilliams.com at the top of the page, click on Firebrand Events. And as long as you're coming to lifewithlisawilliams.com, make sure you check out the link to Cure International. They're sponsoring today's show, Cure Heals Kids and then they tell them about a God who loves them, who sees them, who has a wonderful plan for their life. LifeWithLisaWilliams.com. Click on Cure. Thank you to Melanie Moritzky for producing today's show. And if you would like to share Lisa Kyle's story with someone, then you can find that also at LifeWithLisaWilliams.com. Hashtag thanks for listening.